We're very lucky to have the fourth leading mayoral candidate this week. So we've had four that have basically separated themselves from the pack. And we've talked to three so far. Now we will talk with Mr. Paul Pilato, who joins us in studio. Paul, how are things? Terrific, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Enjoyable campaign, tiring campaign. Where do you describe it? I think it's a mix of all of it. It's uh, it has been very, very enjoyable. I've met some wonderful people through this process and and learned a great deal more about our community than even I thought I could. Uh, it's been that's been a fascinating aspect. There's been some challenges throughout the process. Uh, not everybody's terribly friendly or agreeable with every position. That applies even to our mayoral candidates or competitors. But uh, but overall, it's been good. And yeah, but we're now into the final throws and I'm looking forward to wrapping it up this weekend and and finishing strong. Our team's in great shape. We have a high number of volunteers and they're very passionate and committed to getting our vote out. And and if uh, all goes well, I think we're going to have a very, very successful evening on Monday. When we look at, at your campaign, you had the Palato Report talking about so many different issues in the city, even before, really, the campaign itself began. What has that done to your conversations? Do you find they go a little bit more in-depth because people have, have been able to see your thoughts in-depth? Well, I think it was probably one of the best things I ever did, Mike, because... You know, I was uh, I was probably the least well known, and probably remain the least well known uh, candidate uh, out there. But I think that's now that gap has certainly closed. And and part of the reason for doing the Palato report was to was to bring a very substantive campaign or prepare for a substantive campaign heading into the election. So I wanted to put those ideas out there, get Londoners' feedback, secure those those inputs, get better ideas. A lot of the ideas that were tabled in the Palato report that have become uh, fundamental to my campaign, like. Uh, local commerce strategy and using pension funds to support social housing came from people who contributed to the Palato report. So I was very pleased that I did it. And as a result now, I think I'm probably the, the most prepared candidate for the job. And I feel, frankly, that that's going to actually hold me in good stead when the voters mark their ballot on Monday. You have been very direct as well about stating how you would handle certain things. Housing, you mentioned it there. You made an announcement this morning regarding housing. For anybody who missed that, Take us back to that. Well, yeah. So one of the problems with the debates and the the candidate process is that usually you're given 30 seconds to a minute to maybe two minutes to explain positions. And sometimes those positions are very complex. And social housing is a terrible situation in London. We have a crisis on our hands, 3,500 units in dire need of repair and a, and a demand for an additional 3,000 uh, more. So we, need, we have a $400 million problem in my estimation, and how are we going to finance that without do unduly impacting the taxpayer? So I've come up with a plan to try and uh, uh, partner with pension funds, and what I did this morning was walk the media through that process, which is to uh, acquaint them with the fact that this is a opportunity to generate returns for pension funds who invest in, in their local community instead of railroads and pipelines and some of the other things they might do normally. And as a result of that, uh, we get an, a, an expansion of capital at a very low rate. Um, we get to work on our social housing and get the people off the streets and get some decent roofs over their head so that they can start to work on some of the other challenges, be it poverty, mental health, or drug addiction. And so I, you know, it's not enough for just to identify the problem and no mayoral candidate should go out there just restating the problem. I have been very focused on providing solutions or at least tabling solutions. If they don't work, that's fine. But if people have better ideas, the suggestion box is wide open. I just believe as a mayor candidate, you need to offer people substance. That was the difference in my campaign and I'm proud of it. So 
in this particular thought line, what you would do is in looking for money, you would be able to find it from people themselves. So this is not, okay, well, we have to take from over here. This is coming Mm -hmm. from people who would wish to have their pension money invested in this? Is that the way it would go? Well, it would go through the trustees, and I've had chances to talk with trustees at some of the larger Ontario-based pension funds, and they make investments all over the world, and, and they are uh, they expect a return, and they would get a return on this particular deal. The difference would be that the returns would be longer. They might be a little lower, but they would also be much more secure. And then and, and the benefit of it is that the investments would be coming back into the community. And then the returns themselves would be going to members. They'd be going to teachers and nurses and firefighters and, and people like that who would then ideally spend the money, you know, at restaurants and at retail locations in the same community. So it's kind of cyclical. But the biggest thing from my perspective is we're, we're, we're looking to use their capital pool. It's, an, it's substantial. And like I say, rather than invest in India or China or other places, they're going to still do that. Put a little bit back into your local community. Let's get the people off the streets. Uh, you're still making a good return, but we're not. We're creating a capital pool to deal with the social housing issue without impacting the taxpayer too harshly. It's not going to be a free ride. The federal government is still going to contribute, but with a $400 million hole, um, it's not going to be solved easily. And so somebody's got to start getting on this, and at least I've tabled a plan to address it. I haven't heard anybody else do the same. We're talking with London mayoral candidate Paul Pilato on London Live. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll deal with some of the other issues that people have been talking about. We will find about the the campaign itself, the the desire to be mayor that Mr. Pilato set out going back now a few months. Long campaigns. I mean, these are longer than federal campaigns. Well, it, it, the campaign period has been tightened up, but I had to start a lot earlier simply because the Frankly, I was the least known of the candidates. I'm now probably one of the better known of the candidates, and and that's why I think we're going to have a very successful um, day on Monday. More to come with Paul Pilato on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We're talking with mayoral candidate Paul Pilato. Election October the 22nd might sound like three weeks from now. It's Monday. We will have a special election show for you. Now, in terms of of some of the bigger issues, we've talked with each of the candidates about transit and about BRT and where that is headed. This is something that that you had to kind of examine from the beginning. When you started looking at BRT and transit in London, what stood out to you? How did you, you know, formulate how you felt about it? I guess a couple of things. And again, part of my whole approach to this, uh, preparing for this job was to talk to subject matter experts and users and and to actually take the buses myself and, and, and experience what uh, transit use, um, transit riders were experiencing. And then to look at the economics of the plan, I made no secret of my uh, dislike for the current shift BRT plan. I think it's uh, it's uh, costly, disruptive, and particularly risky to, to taxpayers because of the very favorable forecast they've built in. But I also think that it's not enough to just be against something. You have to be for something. And I was very committed to finding a transportation alternative that respected all modes of transportation and helped Londoners move inside and outside the city. So I did a very robust plan around transportation, and I'm uh, it includes a very aggressive investment in transit. It doesn't mean we're just going to set it aside because of shift BRT. Quite to the contrary. Uh, we need a, a positive uh, transit experience, but we're not going to do dedicated lanes if I get the job and I can convince my council colleagues that that's the, 
uh, not necessary because I believe dedicated lanes will be disruptive and I believe that they will actually impede our ability to grow as a city and be flexible for what transportation futures hold for us. And so outside of dedicated lanes, where do you put your focus? I would really still like to get those tracks the heck out of here, the CP tracks. I mean, I I think there's still a deal to be made there. I do not accept the uh, current... uh, feedback that the council has received on the first iteration because they did not have an elected official in the room and they did not have a business person in the room. So I think there is a deal to be made. Failing that, I would like to see us go over and under and at least deal with that particular issue. But I also want to take care of the roads, Michael. I want to get the darn traffic lights synchronized so people can move around. I want to take aspects of the plan like wider intersections and apply that because I think that will help certainly imp- Um, deal with some of the bottlenecks we're facing. I'd like to use our traffic system much more effectively for peak management. Things like maybe uh, eliminating left turns on Richmond as you head south into the city in the morning and maybe the other way heading north just to help traffic flow and public safety. And then I'm big on active transportation like bike lanes and improved pedestrian walkways, not just making them available, but making them protected, connected, and maintained so that people can use them year-round. I think those are the features that are key. One last thing, as you know, we had a talk conversation about a summer ago about uh, high-speed rail. You know I'm a big proponent of that, and I'm a big proponent of expanding the use of our airport into U.S. Uh, hubs so that we can prove our connectivity inside and outside the, the community, improve flow of capital and talent, and allow people to enjoy the world. We need to be much more global in our thinking, and the best way to do that is make it easier to connect to the rest of the world. Let's talk about London from maybe not even a global perspective, but in terms of a, a provincial, a national perspective, mm-hmm. people thinking about London. We always want people to be thinking about London, to want to bring their mm-hmm. business here. How high should that be on a priority list, in your opinion? Absolutely number one, because with the capital, with the prosperity, with the wealth creation and job creation, that allows us to pay for the programs that we seek. It allows us to take care of our citizens that are hurting. It allows us to do the things from an entertainment perspective, from a parks and recreations perspective, from a lifestyle perspective. So I'm a big believer in an economic growth strategy. I've uh, I've advocated for one. I know how I want to grow it. I know the sectors I want to target. I know how I want to direct the people who are currently charged with economic development and how to proceed in those opportunities. I think we can do something very big on the global stage. I think London will used to be a regional capital. I remember growing up in Windsor and knowing that London had a cachet, even a swagger. It doesn't seem to have that as much now, but I think it would be easy enough to restore. And I think London, Ottawa, and Toronto can be an axis along the Ontario corridor that can be very, very powerful and very influential politically, economically, and socially. So how do we ignite that? I think it's a matter of, first of all, getting and directing our resources on those areas where we have opportunities. I I, I think about the big companies like 3M and General Dynamics and Labatt and London Life, all of whom we should be talking to routinely about expanding their business here or bringing partnerships. I think about the medical field. I think about food processing. I think about, uh, and food processing, we have great agricultural resources here and natural water resources. I think about local commerce like the BIAs, Wortley Village, OEV, Hyde Park, Argyle, Masonville. Uh, All of these places can be small gems of of, uh, local commerce and job creation if we help stimulate them and give them the resources they need to better market themselves and better market uh, themselves to their clients locally. I think about things like um, uh, education. The university and college currently contributes $10 billion annually to our economy. Wouldn't it be nice to add a third uh, post-secondary institution, perhaps a private sector one, like something from Amazon or Apple? I don't need to have their headquarters. I just want a piece of their business. (laughs) 
And I think about distribution out with the airport where we have people who may not necessarily have technical skills and may not want to acquire them or trade skills, but they're willing to go and work in the distribution business. And we're, we're centrally located with a 24-7 with a airport, and it would be awfully marvelous if we could find distribution services for companies that are looking to move into the online distribution business, which, as you know, is becoming increasingly a threat to normal retail operations. So I'm, there's lots of opportunities. London is in a glorious position to take advantage of them. They just need the right people at the helm to drive it. And in terms of, of making those contacts, how difficult is that in the world today? Because, you know, we, we can say, hey, we're here, but we've got to find a way for people to, to know that. Well, I've been doing it most of my career, and that's the benefit of being a CEO for uh, nearly a dozen companies. I've been doing restructuring, and I've been doing outreach and building companies and building brands globally. I have great relationships in China. We have relationships in Europe. And I think those are the opportunities for us. And, and so it's, it's a matter of, of knowing what to do, knowing how to do it, putting the right people in place and directing them accordingly. And I've had success in my career doing it. And what I want to do now is apply it to London, which is why I'm trying to set myself up as the job creation uh, mayor, the guy who's prepared to accept the responsibility to counsel in the community and be held accountable for it. Um, I, I think the mayor has to start taking more leadership in economic development and not passing it off to the business community. The mayor needs to hold people account because this city has got too much promise to leave it sit on the table like it is right now. London mayoral candidate Paul Pilato with us. As far as some of the other internal issues go, whether it be temporary overdose prevention sites, whether it be the garbage calendar, give us kind of a, a little synopsis of, of how often maybe those come up in conversation as you knock on doors and talk with Londoners. Uh, quite frequently. Uh, the, the Green Bin program has now been approved and to kudos to council for also approving the same day garbage, uh, same day per uh, week pickup, which is something I was advocating on my platform. Um, I'm a big believer right now in uh, in this in these mobile injection sites. Couple it with complete care, so that we take care of the people who are struggling with addiction all over the city. By the way, um, without having to uh, necessarily create permanent sites and create intrusions into neighborhoods. I just I, ha- I have too much respect and value for neighborhoods like Soho and downtown to see any neighborhood, frankly, in the city uh, impaired by uh, a permanent uh, mobile inject uh, mo- permanent uh, injection site which is why I'm advocating mobile sites and I'm advocating a complete care facility, facility on hospital lands to provide the clinical care, detoxification, rehab services, uh, peer counseling and temp housing for people so they can get off the system. Right now we are putting, we have in place a system that services the problem. I want to spend a fair bit of money solving the problem. Now, in terms of mobile sites, there are those who say if they're mobile, sometimes they're hard to find. Is there a way to combat that? Well, first of all, I don't agree with that premise. And one of the things I always find funny about my competitors is that is that they're always raising barriers. A mayor's job is to plow through barriers, go around barriers, overcome barriers. So my suggestion is a way to get the expanded service into uh, the uh, dealing with the problems and the hotspots that move around the city without impairing a neighborhood. And, and uh, everybody keeps telling me what I can't do, but they don't ever offer up what they're prepared to do as an alternative. And the suggestion box with me is always wide open. So my biggest thing right now is getting the service in close to the client as much as possible, creating regular services stops, providing 24-7 service, ambulatory care as part of that service. But more importantly, much more importantly, putting in place the detox and rehab services that do not exist in our city, particularly for women and youth, 
so that people can get off of these uh, addictive drugs and begin to rebuild their lives. Paul Pilato with us. London mayoral candidate. The municipal election is Monday. Now, we have one of the closest mayoral races that we have seen in a very long time in London, Ontario. So you have the opportunity to cast your ballot on Monday, October 22nd, whether we know Monday night, whether it's Tuesday, whether it's beyond. Well, that remains to be seen. It has been very interesting. Mr. Pilato, we've got about 60 seconds left. They are your 60 seconds. Why should someone on Monday mark down the name Paul Pilato in the number one spot in our ranked ballot. Well, first of all, Michael, thank you to uh, you and your team here and CFPL and, and really for hosting two debates so that people can get to better know us and our positions. But the biggest thing from my perspective is is there's a lot of people who are going to talk about Londoners as, uh, or sorry, as mayor candidates, as political people and people who like to cut ribbons and take selfies and do photo ops and and uh, and that sort of thing. I'm not that person. I'm not a person who's going to spend a lot of time ribbon cutting. I'm a person who's going to roll up their sleeves and get the work done. Uh, it's been my lifestyle. It's been what's been successful for me. And I'm very confident at the end of four years, people in the city of London will look back at my career if they elect me mayor on Monday and say that he is the hardest working mayor that we have ever known. Paul, thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks very much, Mike. London Enjoy. mayoral candidate, Paul Pilato. We are going to take a break for news with Jacqueline LaBelle. We will talk with Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley about new tourists to Sarnia from across the border who don't really know how the marijuana rules work just yet, and electronic balloting. And we'll dig into some of the things said this morning about ranked balloting on The Craig Needles Show. You're listening to London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.